So this morning, we are continuing our series in Matthew's Gospel. Last week, it was my lovely wife, who then went on to catch COVID, and so she's watching on the live stream this morning. Morning, Ruth! <laughs> oh, dear. Um, I have tested five times. I am still negative. My head is going to fall off if I stick another swab into it. But I'm keeping a mask on to be on the safe side. So if I'm a bit standoffish at the end, I'm not being rude. I'm just being careful. In the last passage that Ruth looked at for us, there was a group of Jewish leaders called the Sadducees. And they tried, and surprise, surprise, failed to catch Jesus out. Now, the Sadducees were a group who had made peace with the Roman state. And so in response for making peace with the Roman state, the Roman state said, okay, you can have responsibility for the temple. So the Sadducees were kind of a bit like the state church, really. They were the Church of England or the Roman Catholics. In the passage today, we have a group of Jewish leaders called the Pharisees, and they try and fail, surprise, surprise, to catch out Jesus. Now, unlike the Sadducees, the Pharisees had not made peace with the Roman state. And they were a pressure group. And they believed that if the people were really, really careful to obey God's law, then God would send the Messiah to rescue them from the Romans. The Pharisees were a little bit more like the free church, a little bit closer to us. So the Pharisees tested Jesus with a question about the law. And Jesus turned the tables on them completely and tested them with a question about the Messiah. And these two questions tell us so much about Jesus and what it means to follow him. Let's have a look at them in turn. Firstly, let's look at the Pharisees' question about the law. Let's have a look at that in verse 36. Maybe you'd like to read that with me. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Okay, let's have a little think about that question, shall we? So if we go back to the question again. What are the assumptions behind that question? It's a question about understanding isn't it? Understanding that the Pharisees want to make sure that Jesus has the right answer. What matters to them is understanding. And secondly, it's a question about understanding the law. It's a question about the rules. And so to a Pharisee, the heart of true spirituality is right understanding and knowledge and keeping the rules. Or perhaps if we're going to put it more generously, the heart of spirituality to a Pharisee was obedience. Anyone fancy having a go at putting that question in their own words? Have a think about it for a moment. Anyone got an offer for me? What's the most important thing I have to do? Great. Like it. Do I have to obey 
do you have to obey all the laws? Mm-hmm. Which is the most significant one? Yeah, excellent, all of them. If we look through the Old Testament, what is the most important rule in there? Not a bad question, really. But Jesus' answer is going to cut right across all of the Pharisees' assumptions. Jesus replied in verse 37, and you could read this with me. Jesus replied... Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. So the heart of the Pharisees' spirituality was understanding and obedience. But the heart of Jesus' spirituality was love. Was love. I remember a friend of mine wrote an article and he titled the article... The second most important thing Jesus said was that we should love each other. That's a great title, isn't it? The second most important thing Jesus said was that we should love each other. Everybody knows Christians are supposed to love each other, but the title kind of makes... What was was the most important thing? And here it is. Here it is. We can only love each other properly if God is in his right place in our life. We can only love each other properly if we love God. The most important thing isn't understanding. The most important thing isn't obedience. The most important thing is love. And the most important person to love is God. People love to read 1 Corinthians 13 at weddings because the words are definitely beautiful but that's kind of a scary verse to read at a a, a wedding because it's a warning listen to this if I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. Now this one's really disappointing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain... Can you imagine? I can understand everything... And gain nothing. I have heroic faith and gain nothing. I give everything I have and get martyred, killed for my faith, and I gain. Well, that would be disappointing, wouldn't it? I wonder how many people have been martyred and have gained nothing. It's quite a scary verse when you think about it, isn't it? Clearly we need to take this warning very, very seriously. The thing that matters above all else is what is going on in the secret place in my heart between me and God. Am I moving towards him? Or am I drifting away from him? 
Am I opening myself up to him or am I pushing him away? Do I trust him or do I trust myself? We can't see into the depths of other people's heart. We can't see what they truly love, although it does show up somewhat in how they live. But God sees it all. And what's going on in our heart before him is the most important thing about us. It is the thing that shapes everything else. It's not what we know. It's not what we do. It's who we love that counts. And if we truly love God, and God is love, then that has to shape, doesn't it, how we relate to everything else. So the next thing that Jesus says in verse 39. And let's read this together. And the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. If we become connected in that secret, deep place in our heart to the life and love, joy and peace and wonder of God, then that will shape how we connect to everything else. 1 John 4 says this, Dear friends, let us love one another, because love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as the atoning sacrifices for our sins. Dear friends, since God so us, we ought to one another. There it is. So Jesus, say the Pharisees, What's your understanding? What should we do? And Jesus says, love God, and flowing out from that, love your neighbour. Verse 40, let's read this together. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. The Old Testament is a long book. I'm a simple person. I like this. If you get these two, you've got the lot. If you love God and you love your neighbour, everything else will take care of itself. Miss this and you've got nothing. The Pharisees couldn't really argue with that. But then Jesus does this very nice little turning of the tables on them and asks them a question in verse 42. Let's read 42 together. What do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? That'll do. Now this is a loaded question because of course everyone's asking, is Jesus the Messiah? So this is, this is not a kind of a, a, an abstract debate question. This is, who do you think the Messiah is and could that be me? Yeah? This is a tricky little question. Now as we've said, the Pharisees understanding was very, very important. So they shot back with a right answer of sorts. What do they say? Oh, go back again, sorry. No problem. The son of David, they replied. 
Now, what the Pharisees would have had in the back of their minds here is a scripture um, which was a promise made to King David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And I read this one so often, you probably know it by heart by now, but it says this. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up an offspring to succeed you who will come from your own body. I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. That's quite a promise, isn't it? Who's the promise made to? King David. Who is it about? Jesus, his son. So when the, when the Pharisees say, the son of David, they've got this promise in mind, this one who is going to come, this one who is going to have an eternal kingdom. But there's something else in this prophecy. God says of the Messiah, I will be his father and he will be my son. The Messiah isn't just the son of David. The Messiah is the son of God. So Pharisees, who are you asking this question to? To make the point, Jesus directs them back to Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Here's how Jesus' point works. This psalm was written by King David. And he says this, The Lord, i.e. God the Father, says to my Lord, hmm, Well, that must be the Messiah, mustn't it? I'm the only person who would qualify to be the Lord over King David, who isn't God the Father, would have to be the Messiah. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. If David calls the Messiah my Lord, then he's a whole lot greater than just a human descendant. He's the son of God. That's what we saw in 2 Samuel 7. And the point was not lost on his hearers. Let's have a look at verse 46. This is a great one to read together. No one could say a word in reply. And from that day on, no one dared to ask him, any more questions? You'd be asking for trouble, wouldn't you? The Pharisees came to test out Jesus' understanding and they were confronted with a call to love and more alarmingly, they were confronted with the fact that they might actually be asking the answer of the Son of God. But it ties the whole thing together, doesn't it? Jesus is a genius. The Pharisees had asked Jesus what was the heart of the law and Jesus had given them a reply that they couldn't argue with. Love God, love your neighbour. So Jesus asked the Pharisees, whose son is the Christ? And the Pharisees were right, he would be the son of David, but they were wrong because more importantly he would be the son of God. So what are we supposed to do we're supposed to love God. Okay, yes, correct. Who am I? Are you the son of God? So what are you going to do with him then if you want to obey the law? See what he's done. 
He's got them. What we do with Jesus is what we do with God. What we do with Jesus is what we do with God. If we embrace him and worship him and serve him, we have eternal life and we'll live a life of love. If we reject him and push him away, then we're condemned because we reject and push away the one who's come to save us. The key to living as God would have us live is to live a life of love. And the key to living a life of love is what we do with Jesus. Because true spirituality, it's not a matter of learning all the right answers. It's not a matter of doing all the right things and obeying all the rules. True spirituality flows out of the secret place in our heart where either we love God and serve him or we reject him and replace him. We've shared communion together and we've remembered that through his death and resurrection, Jesus offers us all the forgiveness of sin we will ever need. Hallelujah. Just day by day, I stack more of my need for forgiveness up and more day by day, I discover there's more and more forgiveness and grace there to meet me. Hallelujah. Today, through his resurrection from the dead and his Holy Spirit, Jesus offers me eternal life and the power to change and have a life of love. That's the life we live now. That's the life that makes sense in light of the king of love who is coming back to reclaim his world. As Paul puts it, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in my time of favour I heard you and in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favour. Now is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation, yes? Today we can take hold of that forgiveness. We can take hold of the life of the Spirit. Today we can live a life of love and joy and peace in a world of anxiety and selfishness and death. What do we say to him this morning? Yes, Lord, I want you. No, Lord, hands off, it's mine. If we want a life to live a life of love, we need to start, not just once, we need to start every day with a yes, Lord. Do you want to say yes, Lord, this morning? For the first time, for the thousandth time, for the tens of thousands of time, would you like to stand?